How are we doing, folks? Back with another episode of the pod. Appreciate you guys uh, sticking around. After we missed last week, I was on the road getting ready for Peach Jam after the 4th of July weekend. And now we have exactly one day before I head out to Summer League and more recruiting out in Vegas. So a little busy, but squeezing in an episode of the pod for you guys. Um, Brad, I'm not sure if you follow, been following the news, but uh, in, in the process, my uh, my alma mater's like entire athletic department seems to be crumbling before our eyes. So that's been exciting stuff. Yeah, so I don't I don't really know the context. I just kind of hopped in here with you know the past hour or so of people just talking about it. But it said one in eleven last year. This guy, this head coach, he did, yeah one in eleven last year and three and nine the year before that, but. He, he was seen as, like, legitimately the most untouchable coach in the country. And the fact that he had survived, like, 1-11 and 3-9 and without really any thought that he'd get fired, and then, like, some people thought much would survive, like, a hazing scandal, is kind of, like, the illustration of how much this guy kind of runs Northwestern football. Kind of a huge deal that he's out. Um, Pat Fitzgerald, who, um, you know, I'm not going to talk about the, like, details of the whole situation. Um, he was always great to deal with when we all dealt with him as media members. Um, obviously, there's a very small, small segment of his day and his life, and that doesn't mean that he's a good person. I think people really struggle to do that. Um, Fitz did a lot of good for a lot of people, um, but it sucks. And unfortunately, there's a hazing scandal that tends to take most people down these days in college sports. This does not seem to be nearly as bad as the New Mexico State situation, but it is bad enough to take down one of the longer tenured head coaches in college football. And could have some like wider spread implications at Northwestern, including its athletic director, uh, who seems likely to be in jeopardy as well. Um, Chris Collins already got his extension though, Brad, so he's in the clear. Speaking of hazing, I saw that you, you will not be watching any mi- mineral area community college games this year. Yes, that was why. Strike that one off your schedule. That was insane. Look like. I've had some people say Greg Hire got a raw deal, but whatever. Like, I, I'm really not interested in like in any way defending Greg Hire. Right? Like Greg Hire was a risky person to employ as a, at a university before he over oversaw one of the largest hazing scandals in college sports history. Right? Like the man, the man has many, many strikes against him. So um, that was a bit surprising. The mineral area would hire him. It's proof that. For most people, winning is the most important thing. Greg Hire will get players. Greg Hire will likely win at Mineral Area. He's a very good junior college coach. He's not a very good basketball coach. He's a good junior college coach. Um, but just kind of a just, just a weird whiplash of a situation that, that Greg Hire is employed this year coaching college, college sports after all this. I couldn't care any less that he's going to coach in obscurity at Mineral Area Community College, right? How many people who were upset by the news had even heard of this JUCO? I had. The news. I had. Yeah, you had. You're in the point zero 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 one percent of all college basketball fans. That's true. Um, I will say, um, the thing I think I would the thing I would point out is really just like, and then we'll move on from Greg Iyer. It's like. I don't think people understand, like, Mineral Area is basically just, like, back to where he was the year before. Like, he was at another really high-end high junior college. So, basically, like, he just gets back to, like, what he was the year before. He was both a bad coach and a bad person. So, 
Uh, I don't know. I will say I spoke to Jason Hooten for um, Off the Carousel. I'm not sure if the, the interview's out yet, but if it's not, you can check out the Field of 68 YouTube channel for that when it does come. Uh, and I think Jason Hooten's going to do a really good job. Like he, he said that essentially he picked up and moved the everything about the Sam Houston program um, from Huntsville to uh, Las Cruces. And, and I, I really believe he'll do a good job there. Great defensive coach. And how about this, Brad? Ten consecutive seasons over 500. Wow. How many guys at the mid-major level, especially at, like, non-plum jobs, have done that? I'm sure. I'm sure we could find some. But even, like, didn't, didn't South Dakota State drop off this year? They were one that's always in yeah. the mix. So, yeah. But very impressive. They have uh, your guy, KC Eziegu, up front. He's a winner. Yeah. Uh, they also have Femi Odakale. We'll see if he's eligible. Jordan Rawls from Western Kentucky. A um, couple of non-Division one transfers. And, I haven't seen uh, Jordan Rawls in a few years, but when I did see him it went, during his first Western Kentucky stand, he was good. Yes. And they also have Brandon Suggs from UCF. And Femi Odakale, I mean, he's, he's good enough. You just don't want to play point guard. I mean, for for the conference USA, he's a good player. Yes. But anyway, that's the New Mexico State Aggies and Northwestern, which I don't think you'd ever really envision saying in the same sentence, but here we are. Um, so you, be- were, you were at Peach Jam. You, you were calling games on on TV, right? I called two games on TV. Um, with How John- was that set up? Was that set up through NBA TV or through Peach Jam itself? Through NBA TV. They, they like, called you up and was like, hey. Two games this week you're in? Yeah, I mean, so without kind of too many details, um, basically, I think th- this is the first year the NBA had the rights to all the games other than the championship games, which ESPN has. Um, and with, with having those rights, they wanted to do broadcasts. Fanta was the guy that they brought in to do those because Fanta is has worked with the NBA in the past. He was did help, help with their draft coverage. He also did um, the, com- the G League elite camp broadcasts uh for like the nba youtube channel and whatnot uh and i think it's just another opportunity for the nba to expand and so i think they asked fanta like who 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 will be around and uh came up with finkelstein and christian peak terrence oglesby randolph childress and myself so it's a really cool opportunity um got to talk to carmel anthony which is pretty surreal as a guy who grew up in upstate new york and grew up watching syracuse watching the knicks um and then obviously was at, you know, saw some really good players. Uh, and then obviously outside of the broad two broadcasts, I did get to see a ton of really good basketball, uh, watch, you know, some of these really, really talented next wave of guys, whether that be, um, you know, the AJ, De, AJ DeBansa or Ty- Tyron Stokes or uh, Cooper Flagg, Cameron Boozer. Um, the 25 and 26 groups are, are really, really talented. And the flag mania has certainly uh, certainly taken off. I mean, I uh, obviously did not watch any of the, of the games in their entirety, just the highlights. H- how is he getting, like, 12 blocks in a game, 8 blocks in a game? Like, are these just, like, weak side, like he turned into Nerland's Noel overnight, or? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot A lot of it's weak side, for sure. Because um, you're not really attacking him a ton. 
But yeah, he has incredible instincts. Um, he's also people have asked me like, well, who's the comparison? There really is no comparison because of how involved he is possession of possession. Right? He's a he's a front court player who blocks shots, um, but is also a point guard and also like a leading scorer. Like it's it's very bizarre. You don't see a guy like this very often. And the comparison I best came up with, and this is not like not exact by any means. But what I came up with, this is probably the most similar, is college senior Draymond Green. Okay. Where, like, defensively, he's so good in that he can guard a man and guard space, right? He's a little bit better in protector, probably. Um, But he's not a... I, I'm not sure like shot blocking is going to be his main skill in the professional game, but he will be, I think, a very good defender because he's incredibly smart. He can pass. He can step out and shoot threes. He can really play make, um, handle the ball, and get downhill. He's going to score kind of catch and rip through, catch and, you know, catch and drive, you know, get to the rim, finish around the basket. Like, that's his bread and butter, but he can stretch it. To me, that was the best comparison, and, like, that was, you know, obviously an All-American, and that turned into a great, great, NBA player. Um, I think Cooper will be a bigger scorer in the NBA. He has that ability than more more ability than Draymond. But I'm again, it is so so difficult to pick because you just you never really watched a player like this. His impact on every possession. Part of it is he's not on a super talented team, right? When you watch him with Montverde, it's a little bit more like understated. But because he's playing with Maine United, which is Essentially, it's like watching like a good varsity team play against an EYBL team, right? They have Cooper, and they have two kind of fringe Division One players, and one like preferred walk-on, probably level Division One player on the roster. That's compared to again a team like, you know, even like I saw them play the New Heights Lightning. The New Heights Lightning have probably every guy in the starting lineup to play Division One. Multiple guys are going to be top 100 recruits type thing. It's just different. So. Cooper kind of wills them across the finish line most games. It's it's really fun to watch. It's really unique. Uh, and it and it's caused a real kind of question is like, is he the best player in the class versus um, Cameron Boozer? That debate might get settled on its own by the fact that Cooper can reclassify to 2024 uh, and then be the clear number one in 2024, be draft eligible in 2025, and then be a somewhat clear, you know, Somewhat clear answer it's a 2025 number one overall pick. Whereas instead of if he waits till 2026, he's going to be competing not only with Cam Boozer, but also potentially uh, AJ DeBansa, who age wise is exactly the same as the Boozers and are actually older than the Boozers by a little bit and, and, and will likely wind up in the 2025 class. Right. And the issue, obviously, well, it's not really an issue, it, issue for the fans. Is that Cooper Flag and the Boozers were playing U16 instead of U17? Right. And you know we're all saying, oh, you know these are the top guys regardless of class. They're better than everyone in 2024. And why not just play U17? And I get the main United team is we're saying it's not going to be good enough because at, at that age, or yeah, at that age, age really matters. You know, you. A a good U16 team would like dominate U15. 
that's age when you're 15, 16, 17 years old, like really, really matters. So, um, I understand that maybe main United would get like rocked in U17, but come on, maybe the best player, regardless of class, isn't even playing in the highest division. That's insane. Yeah, I mean, I I think there's something you said like Cooper. It would be a much more interesting evaluation if Cooper was playing 17U. Like, if Cooper was playing for Expressions instead of AJ Jabansa. Right? Like, what would it look like? I think it's a reasonable take. But I understand why Cooper doesn't want to play. Like, the rest of these guys could not play U17. Right. So, kind of has to. If, look, he has his entire life ahead of him, right? I don't blame him for wanting to be able to play one last summer with these guys. It's not going to affect him at all. He'll still be whatever, Correct. you know, 100 millionaire, you know, making nine figures in his basketball playing career. You know, this playing the summer with his friends is not going to cost him anything, really. Correct. Unless he goes to Villanova. And then Kyle Neptune has to tell, tell all the uh, all all the GMs why it's actually his fault instead of the coach's fault as to why the team lost. That's incredible. Um, Anything else from Pichan? Not really. I mean, I think there was a lot of kind of belly aching and moaning. Oh, my gosh, the recruiting calendar is so bad. You know, I know, I know Matt Norlander wrote, like, the value of a high school recruit dropping more than ever. Um, yeah, I, like, I, 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 didn't, I didn't read his article, full disclosure. But what, what he put in the tweet was that, like, Top 60 recruits are worthless for high major teams. That's just not true. Like, yeah, they're not going to play that much as a freshman, but they're still going to be like stars as upperclassmen. They just might be playing eight minutes a game as opposed to, you know, 10 years ago, they were playing 15, 20 minutes a game. Well, well I think what's, what's, what's interesting is it like comes at least. Think, think about this. Like, how many of these top 50 and top 75 recruits have went in the portal despite not producing and stayed high major? Oh. Right? So, yeah, I, I agree with that. I, mean, I think there's some, some valid, valid points there. I think Norlander points out the fact that the fact that schools are leaving scholarships unfilled rather than filling them with freshmen is like a very clear sign that it's a bad time to be a freshman trying to get recruited. Right? Like, think about just in high major basketball how many open spots there are. If there's an average of one per team, which my guess is we're not quite at, but we're close, then that's 50 scholarships, right? That's 50 kids who aren't going to play Division One basketball um, that would have otherwise, right? And if you, you know, aggregate that over 360 teams, right? It's, you know, 300, 300 kids, right? That's crazy. Um, three, yeah, 300 kids. Let's say that that's wild. Um, yeah, and like I think people have yet to get to like the downwind thing that we've been talking about for a while, Brad, which is that. People are not prepared for how much more important high school recruiting is going to become again once the COVID year kids. We have one more cycle of COVID. Right. And once that's gone, how how different will it be? I I don't think people will realize it until they see all their teams suck and not be able to fix it. Right. But, I mean, the COVID seniors, I mean, they're older, right? They're, they're proven. They got the stats. So, yeah, you – I mean – we were talking last year that the SEC teams especially just, like, filled every hole. Every seventh man, ninth man, 
you know, this star, every, everyone was just filling with transfers. Um, and, you know, what I was thinking of all, more so last offseason, because uh, it was consecutive, well, really it's been three straight years of Providence redshirting their 12th man and then the dude leaving after one year without even playing. And I was like, well, what are you supposed to do? Like, 11, 12, 13, they're always going to be three-star freshmen. How do you keep them? How, how do you extract value out of them as opposed to just, like, a cool dude who was very helpful in practice for a year and then goes on to Eastern Michigan or Delaware or Temple, you know? And, again, the, the, and, and this is where the rubber kind of meets the road, right, Brad? Like, a coach is sitting here. How, and I had this conversation with probably three different coaches this past weekend. How many, how many kids did we look up in each league and say, that's a freshman who's being a high-level contributor right away, right? Outside of the elite recruits, there's just not a lot of those. So when there's, when there's you know, at most really one per team in most cases, how how can a school invest six months, right? Like the, the calculus is all off, right? Providence spends four months following Legend Jeter around, and then Legend Jeter hits the transfer portal after never playing a game, and then Providence spends a week and a half recruiting, you know, who's his replacement? Will McNair. Yeah. yeah, Will McNair is his replacement, right? Like, and Will McNair is, is a start, like, is better. Right. Like, like, how, how does that math work? It doesn't. So. I, you know, I, I'm kind of. I'm kind of stuck as to like how you do this, right, because I think every every coach would like to be able to recruit high school players. Every coach realizes like that the, the current system is a waste of a lot of time. The recruiting calendar, everyone hates. But no one wants and. No, no one who's in favor of high school kids getting more opportunities wants less evaluation periods, less access. I had one conversation with someone in the recruiting space today who said, you know, what they should do is basically every weekend from April, every weekend in April and May, they're allowed to put on live events, basically. And if a, if a shoe company wants to do, you know, April 15th, May 1st, and June 20th, they do April, you know, April 1st, May 15th, and June 20th, right? Like, they do whatever they want, right? And the schools can go if they want. They don't have to go if they don't want to, right? And that way, it'd be a little bit more spread out. The schools could recruit as much as they wanted to or didn't. They could, you know, not have every coach on the road every weekend, right? Like, just give schools the the space, basically, to decide what they want to do. I think there's some, some, some validity to that. I just... Again, I, I don't know. We want high school kids to have opportunities. We're just not like. It's just a very tricky situation because it doesn't seem to make sense the way that they're currently being invested in time wise. I think I think the way that Creighton built the roster, I think that's your best use of resources, right? Where they have. Their top nine is all like, you know, either transfers or guys who got their feet wet last year. You know, a, a, a mix of like, you know, 
that 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 top nine is you know it's it's deep it's robust it's got everything you need and then they filled in the rest of the roster with just three star recruits who are either local or they want to redshirt for a year or maybe they see a certain skill set um i think i think that's that's your best path is to kind of take flyers with, with three star guys at the end of the bench even, even if they leave after a year you know just taking that dart throw. I mean, it's kind of ironic that when you think of teams having to do that, right? We think of kind of that the the pre-transfer boom in Duke and Kentucky getting all that mileage out of Jordan Goldwire, out of Dominique Hawkins, out of Derek Willis. And that was something where, you know, we're saying, okay, if you're a four-star recruit, you can't go to Kentucky or Duke. It's got to be five-star or three-star. Now with the transfer boom, it's almost like these teams have to act like Duke and Kentucky just they're on a roster and add, you know, the kid from Omaha who, like, maybe if you squint could be a high major and let him redshirt, let him stick around a couple of years and see if he can pull it off. And if he bails after a year, just go out and get get the next one and keep, you know, that's like penny stocks or something. They just keep throwing darts. Yeah. That's probably the that's probably the correct strategy. But I don't know. It's it is a very, very tricky space to be in right now. Um do you want to get some transfers, Brad? Should we start with Mr. Mulcahy, who was definitely not in it for the money. Yeah, this this was great, right? Paul Mulcahy commits to Washington, if you haven't seen it. Um, you know, obviously the post-Cam Spencer situation at Rutgers, there was this kind of like money is the driving force. Rutgers doesn't have enough of it, et cetera. And so when Paul Mulcahy hits the portal, there's this like immediate like, this was not about NIL, you know, come on, folks, like, you know, he wanted a fresh start. He wanted this. But, like, maybe, maybe he did want a fresh start. Maybe, like, but, but at the end of the day, it was, it was about an hour. Because there's no way that Paul Mulcahy picks Washington if it's not about an hour. And there's no way, quite frankly, again, Brad, it'd be one thing if it was just, oh, he picked Washington. Paul Mulcahy exclusively, like, spoke to schools that were NIL schools. Like, 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 think about this one. He was talking to West Virginia when West Virginia didn't have a coach. <laughs> like, this was not about fit. This was, where can I get bread? Right? Where can I get paid? And again, for Paul Mulcahy, who has really no chance of making the NBA, but is a very good college player, if Paul got $400,000, $500,000 to go play at Washington for a year, probably the most money you'll ever make that's that's good for him great congrats paul there's just there's just no reason to try to pull the wool over our eyes right with something so blatant it's like yeah it's not about money also i'm going to washington they're coaches on their last legs they play zone they already have a you know severe wheeler i'm gonna move across the country yeah, he's I'm from gonna, New Jersey, right? Yeah, I'm a local Jersey kid. I'm going to move across the country. I'm going to play for a coach that's on the hot seat for a team that's probably not going to be that good. Although we can discuss that in a second. 
All for what? A lot of money. Which yeah. that, that's a good move, but 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 don't but don't what's it? Don't piss on us and tell us it's, and tell us it's raining. Yes. Exactly. Um, but you know, with like John Conchar and Cody Martin, you know the NBA likes that type of player. Marcus. Well, those guys, could have, those guys could all kind of create. Mulcahy outside of the thirty-point game he had against Northwestern. That's that's a style of player that is appealing to. I mean, look at Delano Banton on the Celtics now. Yeah, the, the, that that type of player is appealing. We'll see if Mulcahy has the athleticism and the. He he'll, he'll need to improve his shooting. Um, he he doesn't have the same length and athleticism as Cody Martin and. Delano Banton, so. Yeah, agreed. Um, what else is, so, 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 so on this Washington team, just quickly, Brad, because I do think they're at least, like, worth talking about as, an, a, tournament, as a tournament team now, right? Like, I think if this isn't an NCAA tournament team, it's a disappointment talent-wise. So. There's a lot of eye of the beholder pieces here. Right, Keon Brooks is the best player. I think it's probably fine. Is it? Not great, but I mean, look, Keon Brooks averaged seventeen and eight in the Pac-12 last year. Yeah, Brett Braxton Mia had a huge breakout. He's like on the NBA radar. He's a great, really good player, really good defender. The Wheeler Yates Mulcahy trio is a little funky. Very funky. But but Moses was there for shooting. Anthony Hollins in there for some shooting. So you know, you can mix and match it the right way. They, they almost don't need Wheeler anymore. Um, I mean, they have three funky combo creators, right? Well, I guess Sevier's a true point guard, but he's a funky player. He can't shoot. They have Mulcahy, who's kind of a point guard, can't really shoot. And Wesley Yates, who's kind of a creator and also can't really shoot. So, are they going to all play together? Yeah. Maybe. I mean, the one thing about this group is it should be like a monster defensively, right? But they're going to play zone with like... Are they going to play zone? I thought Mike Hopkins was zone all the time. No, he's gotten a little more, man. If... If they didn't have Wheeler, then I'd say this is a perfect zone team. Yes. With Yates and Mulcahy at the top, and then Woods got good size, Brooks got good size, and then Monsters in the middle. Man, Captain. Agreed. Yeah. But, like, yeah, I mean, like, Mulcahy and Yates are very good defenders. Keon should be a good defender. Severe Willis is a good point of attack defender. Kepnang, as you said, is a great defender. Um, you know, they've, they've got some length, some athleticism, like, Again, like when you compare this roster talent wise to the rest of the Pac twelve, I think it compares pretty favorably. Yeah, I mean I think in terms of Pac twelve, the wild card here is Oregon, right? Because they even even with some late uh Devin Cambridge defection, they're still talented. But like kind of like fool me, was it Can't get fooled again, right? Well, so so that's the thing, right? Like, I think we both are kind of like, yeah, Washington, 
hop stinks, whatever. Like, it is not that long ago that Mike Hopkins won the Pac-12. It's longer ago than you would realize. But he it was probably, what, league. like four years ago? Yeah, it was 2018-19. And that was his one tournament appearance. Correct. The year before, that was a very good job. People are loving, like, this Colorado team, which, I don't know, I mean... Cody Williams seems a little more prospect than player. But yeah, David Dave decent amount of returners. Tristan De Silva is one of the best players in the conference. So maybe Colorado, but like Arizona State, shaky. UCLA's super young. I mean, USC's talented, but yeah, there's not it's not like a ton of teams in front of them. Maybe like three or four teams clearly in front of them. Um, yeah, so that team that he won the Pac-12 with, I was just trying to pull the roster, sorry about that. Jalen Noel, NBA player. Matisse Thibel, NBA player. Noah Dickerson and David Crisp, two good college players. Then they had two other guys who were, like, in the rotation. Name them. Sam Timmons. No, uh, he played a little, but I was thinking of two other guys. Um, let's see. I believe Noah Dickerson was at the four. So their five must have been a guy who never got better. Oh, jeez. I think I'm thinking too far. I'm thinking Robert Upshaw. No. Uh, How about old. this? Uh, he was a Cuse guy originally. Cuse guy originally. Cuse recruit. Oh, jeez. Albany native. Um, no, I'm striking out here. Amir Wright. Amir Wright. And then they had they had their sixth man was Naziah Carter. Okay. I mean, Noel and Tybal are, like, legit NBA players. Like, they are cemented in the NBA. They're not, like, cup of coffee guys. Correct. That was a great scene. So, we'll see what Washington does. I'm at least interested now. Put it that way. Um, Elsewhere, um, I want to touch on Texas, Brad. Texas has kind of slowly but surely filled out this roster. Um, They added Ethiel Horton from the portal from UCF. They flipped Devin Pryor, who was a 2024 recruit to LSU, and are bringing him in in 2023. Um, they're not 12 scholarship players. They look talented. Like, I have my questions about the, like, traditional wing position, but they have four ball handlers that are like, pretty proven, pretty proven or, like, worth trusting, plus the Shendell Weaver kid from UT Arlington. They have length up front. Like this is a this is an interesting team. Now I, I've had some questions from people in the in the coaching world about how Max Aismith translates. I think those questions are fair. But when you have Dylan DeSue and you have Matt and you have Tyrese Hunter and you have Caden Shedrick and you have Ethel Horton, like this this is you know, any question that this was a tournament team, I think can be put to rest. This is absolutely a tournament team. Um, I think it's probably a top twenty five team. Yeah, this this defense should be insane. 
I mean, Tyrese Hunter is one of the best defensive point guards in the country. And 3-4-5 with Mitchell, DeSue, and Shedrick. Those guys are monsters. Now, I guess the, the question being, is like, is Max Aceman going to, like, crush a defense? I don't think so with four other great, great defenders. And then secondly, I guess, is, you know, a lot of people have been throwing out Dylan Mitchell as a breakout candidate. Like, what does he really do offensively to break out? With his lack of shooting, he's not really a creator. So do you think maybe Terry sacrifices some defense and plays Horton there at the three? Well, I mean, every coach that it, that Cunningham has ever had has played Brian Cunningham, too. So um, figure he'll be in the mix as well. So, this, yeah, th- I am convinced that this will be a great defense. I am questioning a Dylan Mitchell breakout, but I still think this is like a top 20-ish team. Yeah, the Mitchell breakout is kind of slimming, slimming in likelihood the less he's going to play. Um, the the good thing, at least, is I think they have enough depth in the backcourt now where they could play a little bit more of DeSue at the five and a little bit more of Mitchell at the four, which I think is huge, right? I, I do not want to see this team playing Shedrick and DeSue together 20-plus minutes a game. To me, that's not a winning strategy. Sorry, sorry, playing uh, Disu and who together? Shedrick together. I want, I want to like, if I can keep Shedrick to 20 minutes a game, and I can give Disu 20 at the five and 10 at the four, I feel a lot better about that than like them being like the steady starting four or five, and then just plugging in guys behind them. I think, I think you want this front line to just be huge though. I, I think that's their competitive advantage. It's just like massive and athletic front line. Right, but how much is that going to make top, uh, Max Aceman's job harder? Well, I mean, he's just going to shoot anyway. You know, the, the whole thing is he can he can fire. Right. I mean, not not enough spacing for him. We're saying, well, correct. Not enough spacing, not enough ability to create with the ball and pick and roll. Right? Don't like, get it off the offensive glass. I, I mean, Shedrick's a lob target, certainly. Yes. Mitchell's a lob target. I, I don't know how, how Mitchell is as a role man, uh, but Shedrick is cer- certainly a very good role man. I'm saying I think there'd be upside to playing, like, Ace Miss, Hunter. Horton, Horton Mitchell, and Sue. Mitchell to Sue as much as you're playing Mitchell at the three, at least. I mean, they would still be big enough, and they'd still be athletic enough to, to run that. Um, yeah, Mitchell... If he can give them any sort of scoring, yeah. and, you know, any sort of creation there on the wing, I think they're in, they're in really good shape. Agreed. Um, other commitments. We had the James Oconquo to North Carolina commitment. This this guy had like a better list than like top forty recruits. Like he. I mean, if he was in the portal on April 1st, he's not even, like, he, he he might not even be, like, a top half transfer, like, top 900 transfer. Because I know, right, everyone knows, right, if you're in the portal, supply and demand in July, you're worth a lot more. But this guy is, like, the, you know, like, he was inflated by like a hundred times. 
his list had like UConn, North Carolina, Texas A&M, Seton Hall. Like that, that's a list that would be that would not be out of place for a top forty recruit. And now he's going to be the third string center, at some beef, at some physicality to the UNC front court. No doubt, no doubt. Um, look, like James Aconquo is a playable high major front court player. That made him a valuable commodity at this point in the offseason. What does he do for North Carolina? Like, I'm not entirely sure. Is he, like, Baycott's backup? Is he going to play with Baycott? Like, is he – maybe it's a little both. Is he going to play at all? Like, is he ahead of Jalen Washington? Is he ahead of Aiden High? I don't, I don't know. Like, I think he's probably ahead of Zayden High. But I think – Unless we're getting, you know, a lot of Ingram at the three, I assume he's just kind of in, in insurance at, at that five spot because without him, you only had really two guys who could play the five with with a Baycott in Washington, and he brings something, you know, probably you say similar to Baycott in terms of style, but very different from Washington. Yes, another guy who can go out there and get some offensive rebounds and hit somebody. Yeah, I mean, again, like. You didn't really want to be at 10 scholarship guys. That's a little thing. Well, I mean, they still have, I think, one spot short on the wing. I, th- I, I still think that they should go after DeMar Langford. What is DeMar Langford? Bizarro, Paxson, Wojcik. Like, where, where is the Defense, he's throwing Langford. He needs need some shooting. He's throwing Wojcik. Uh, bullpen style. Yeah. Um, so that was a weird one. We should probably take stock of the West Virginia situation after Conquo leaves, because now I believe officially all the West Virginia guys who announced they were transferring have transferred. Well, we could we could actually hit Muhammad Wagyu and Joe Tucson here, then and then we'll do West Virginia. Let's do that. So Texas Tech will stay in the Big Twelve. Takes Joe Tucson. That fills out their roster at thirteen. This has been another that was very patient. Um, I think a lot of these teams in the Big Twelve kind of saw what. Jerome Tang did last year and said, look, like we don't need to rush. Things can come available late. They were fortunate, obviously, to have the Huggins situation come available. But Joe Toussaint is a very nice pickup for Texas Tech, a guy who another guy they can trust to handle the ball, allows them to play pop pop Isaacs in, in more of a shooter role, which I think is critical. Uh, a guy who really fits defensively what Grant McCaslin does. Um, they've really improved their team here in July. And, and late June with Devin Cambridge and Toussaint. Um, this is a very athletic group, a very versatile group at the you know, two through four positions. Toussaint, you know, doesn't really help their scoring identity, which I think is, you know, the, the lone concern. I think really outside, if you look at this lineup, which I have projected as Toussaint, Isaacs, Williams, Cambridge, and Warren Washington, that's a pretty, there's really one guy on the floor who's really an offensive weapon, and that's Pop. But they're going to defend going to play slow uh and, and their bench is is very very deep now with lamar washington and chance mcmillan and robert jennings Kyron Lindsay. um does seem like kerwin walton and demorian williams have been sufficiently buried um so good for them but overall your your thoughts on the texas tech offseason yeah so i i like the roster as a tournament team i love the, the Washington pickup, especially in the 
center spot. He's just such a good athlete. So he's huge. He's so fluid. And I think maybe Tucson still is the sixth man, you think, and Washington starts. I know people were raving about Washington all last year. But either, either way, he'll play probably north of 20 minutes a game. Play someone with Isaacs. Yeah, move, move Isaacs off the ball. Um, and I love their athleticism with Cambridge and Williams and all these versatile pieces in the front court. So I think this is probably a tournament team. A nice rebound. It took took them a while to get going, but the uh, Nevada connection really paying off here with well, well I guess Devin Cambridge is only t- tangentially related to Nevada, but Darian Williams and Warren Washington actually played there. Um, and how about Devin Cambridge and Warren Washington teaming up again for Arizona State? That's right. <laughs> um, and then the other one from West Virginia to clear the deck is Muhammad Wagyu, um, who commits to Alabama. Seemed like this was a Kansas State lean that got flipped here late. Um, again, a guy who was recruited at like an insanely high level for playing 10 minutes a game on a nine seed, but such is the way of the world. At least um, Wegu was ahead of Agongo in, in, in the rotation for most of the year. Yes. Um, but Alabama has officially stuck the landing in the front court. Now, is this as good as having Charles Bediaco? Absolutely not. But you have Nick Pringle and Muhammad Wagyu as two traditional centers who are high-activity guys who can protect the rim, who can run the floor, um, you know, finish around the basket, etc. You then have two very, very skilled foremen in Grant Nelson and Jaron Stevenson. And then you have two freshmen with upside in Muhammad Diabate and Sam Walters. That's enough up front. And we know that Alabama has a, a, has a good backcourt situation with Mark Sears and Aaron Estrada and Latrell Wrightsell and Ryland Griffin. So, again, we take stock here. I think we have this kind of enduring concern about how will they be able to defend? Will they take a big step back there when they've been good under Oaks? They've been elite defensively. Do we think Muhammad Wagyu and, and Nick Pringle can take on that responsibility? And do we think that a completely new coaching staff will be able to run everything as effectively as the, the old group did, and particularly Charlie Henry, who is their kind of defensive whiz, who's now the head coach at Georgia Southern? Um, that'll be interesting. But, you know, I think Bama certainly feels a little bit more balanced than they did a few, a few days ago. It is needed, you know, another physical five-man that's going to rebound, that's going to do the dirty work. I was not buying a full-time Grant Nelson at the five. That did not ring true to me. So now you well, so here's a question. Would you would you rather have Nick Pringle or Muhammad Wagyu? Well, so I, I will answer your question, but I think I'm fine. I'm probably fine with them splitting the position. You know, 20-20, 25-15, whatever. Uh, but I think given Pringle came on late, it was in Alabama system, I think give me Pringle. But I think both of them are going to play a lot. So we'll split that position. But like the, if if they went with like Grant Nelson at the five, and then either Stevenson or Griffin at the four, that would that would give off too much too much Notre Dame vibes. Um, they were going Nate Nate Lashesky at the five. And, you know they had all all these great guards, all these great shooters and scores, but just not enough physicality. 
not any physicality. Uh, so I think, I think it was important for Alabama to get Wagu, have have him and Pringle play mostly at the five and give them that edge. I think this team has tournament upside, but I think again we or uh, top twenty-five upside, excuse me. Um, but I think you know we've looked around the SEC and because once again it feels like a lot of the holes have been filled and there's very few scholarships available again compared to the rest of the rest of the sport. Um, you know, I think you say that for almost everyone, right? Like you say, top twenty-five upside in the SEC: Bama, Arkansas, I think probably Auburn. Right, Janai Broom and Aiden Holloway, Florida. I don't think you would say it with Georgia. Certainly would with Kentucky. The LSU, you'd probably say no. no. Mississippi State, yes. Mizzou, probably no. Ole Miss, yes, depending on their waiver situation. South Carolina, absurdly no. Tennessee, uh, yes, and Texas A&M, yes, and then Vanderbilt, no. But like over half the league, you feel like yeah, that could be a top twenty-five team. Absolutely. And I think probably in preseason top top twenty five people will have like seven or so in. I guess it all depends on if if you care about like Mississippi State playing ugly or you care about Kentucky's youth. Although I'm sure I'm sure everyone's playing Kentucky. Or, or like if you're buying the Florida uh, rebirth here with all the new transfers and everything. But I bet like the, the uh, computers will have a ton. Yeah, I mean, we can check T rank right now. Take a minute here. I'm getting pretty quick at firing up T-Rank. 24 projections, conference, SEC. They have six. They have Tennessee, Texas A&M, Florida, Alabama, Kentucky, and Auburn. No Mississippi State. Arkansas, 28. Mississippi State, 33. LSU, 52. Um, Ole Miss, 69. Mizzou, 72, Vanderbilt, 77, Georgia, 88, South Carolina, 107, which feels absurdly high. Do you have a stance on, you know, a stance that you're taking for rankings on waiver guys? Like, are are you just assuming all all waivers go through? Uh, no, I'm not. Okay. For I, myself, haven't, terms, I, really haven't, I haven't had to put pen to paper yet, really, on any rankings, so... The second, I clicked on LSU because I was curious. They have Damian Collins at three points a game. And Tyrell Ward at, at, at four points a game. And still having LSU 52nd. So that could imply maybe LSU could be a sneaky top 25 team if those guys play up to their recruiting rank. Maybe. Um, Do we have more recruits? Well, we can talk West Virginia here. So Bob Huggins is saying he didn't actually resign after he cleaned out his office. Yes, we have. We still have thought full, he was employed. We still have a full Costanza situation um, at West Virginia. This is kind of ugly. I, 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 to be clear, I, I don't think, I don't truly believe that there's any chance that this actually produces anything for Bob Huggins. But it is certainly messy. Um, it might cause 
West Virginia a little bit of money, whatever. Makes Bob Huggins, Bob Huggins look bad. Also, like, we're approaching West Virginia is in full suck mode at this point, Brad. So they have four spots left. I know Alexis, Alexis Yetna visited back when Bob Huggins was the coach. He's still on the board. And I think I saw that they had another big man visiting. I don't remember exactly who. Well, they took Jeremiah Bembry. Yeah. Who is, like, I guess really bad. Well, he registered on a terrible Florida State team last year. I'm not sure if he was injured or not. He, he, he's he supposed to be, like, not, like, maybe not even a mid-major player. But he's, like, a – in theory, he's, like, the Mulcahy style of player. He's, like, a DeAndre Bembry style of player, yeah. Is he related to DeAndre Bembry? I assumed so. Maybe I'm wrong. But so, the, so, 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 taking stock of where they are right now, they have four spots. As you said, they desperately need a big. They have they have two really front court players on the roster. That's Patrick Sumnick and Jesse Edwards. They're gonna have to start one of Kobe Johnson, Seth Wilson, Omar Silverio, or um, future road scholar Josiah Harris. Yeah, people were like giving him a you know round of applause for graduating in like two years. I mean that's I I I I don't know if that's really as impressive as we're making it out to be. Given that Jose Perez was also able to graduate with a, a you know a buffet of credits from Gardner Webb, Marquette, and Manhattan. Somehow well, all those added up to a degree. The text you sent me that with the link to the Josiah Harris tweet with the caption, be right back. I'm going to get my West Virginia degree this weekend was extremely funny. I could Uh, use a degree in like computer science. That would be cool. (laughs) Or or math. I think it'd be cool to be good at math. But but I, I think we're basic. We're unless they get a four. They are officially, like, lost season territory, right? Well, because doesn't Raekwon Battle need a waiver, or did we already talk about this? No, Raekwon's okay. Okay. Yeah, so this team's not... I don't know if they're bad, but in the Big 12, they're going to be toward the bottom. I think they're probably the worst team in the Big 12. Honestly, Brad. I think they're probably worse than UIU. And, 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 and Central Florida, yeah. Um, I mean, Mark, Mark Pope is a better coach than Josh Eilert. Who knows? I mean, this guy, wasn't he like uh, like a manager a couple of years ago, people were saying? Like he, was, yeah. he was like a video guy. He's, this mean, is like he's just a sack lamb. This, this is David Padgett all over again. Yeah. Every broadcast is going to make Josh Eilert doing such an amazing job under these circumstances. And it seems, you know, they, they're 2-12 two and, two and in the Big 12, uh, you know, 8-17 eight, eight, eight and 17 overall. Josh Eilert's doing a wonderful job. You gotta just give a ton of respect to Eilert. He's a future star. Fast forward next year, he's calling Wright State versus Detroit Mercy on ESPN Plus in front of Sean Paul. Selling insurance, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sean Paul, yes. Like uh, Kobe Johnson started a bunch of games last year, at least least at the start of the season. Um, Seth Wilson's okay. Semenik played a lot down the stretch. How did all these bigs play? Because 
I think when we got to the NCAA tournament, I think Wegu and Akongwa were out, and it was just Semenik and um, who was our starter last year? Blanking here. Oh, the five? Yeah. Jimmy Bell. Yeah. Yes. This is Jimmy Bell and And Trey Mitchell. Over the last five games of the season, Sumnik played 20 minutes, or no, 20% of their minutes. Akonkwo played 27% of their minutes up front. Emmett Matthews played 27% of their minutes up front. Jimmy Bell played 38%, and Trey Mitchell played 62%. Oh, Trey Mitchell, excuse me, played 83%. So that somehow equals 200%? Yeah, I think so. Or some guys are good DMPs there. But um, this is the Ken Palm numbers. Yeah. Simonek did play, like, yeah, he played 15 minutes in the NCAA tournament, 11 minutes against K-State, 10 minutes. Yeah, I mean, he bare. But, but before, like, February 15th, he, like, almost never played at all. Yeah. He He's, like, an energy. I mean, we were talking – Hamir Wright before. He's kind of like that style of player, but without obviously the top 75 pedigree. He scored 12 He scored twelve total baskets last year, Brad. That was what Hamir Wright did, right? It's like he's 6'11", super athletic, can do all these things in average five and Like four. legitimately sucks, yeah. Yeah. So West Virginia is trending towards probably being pretty bad. Um, what else is left? Let's see. Any other moves that were like notable in the last few days? Still no point guard for Illinois. I, I keep seeing people saying that no, it's going to be the Ty Rogers show. I think that's likely. I know the uh, Terion Murdoch's kid that just went in the portal is from Illinois, but I don't think that's happening. I don't think he's someone said he's not even ready until mid-December. Yeah, he's he's coming off an an injury. Which he, like he's he, he's he's fucked then. Like he he's going to go up from mid-major or really low-major in Southland to high-major. Not going to practice, not going to be the preseason at all, overseas trip, this and that, nothing. He's just going to show up on December 15th, kind of hobble around two bye games, and then kind of somehow factor into the rotation. Like, that seems far-fetched to me. I get, like, I saw Pitt was at the top of his list. Like, they have a couple freshmen at a point guard, so I guess why not take that risk there? Um. But for like Illinois or some of those schools, I was like, this, this is not gonna work out. See Hall. Yeah, So I, I saw Seton Hall fans think that, think that they're gonna get Noah Farrakhan. You think that's a good, that's a notable move if that happens? I don't think it's super notable. I don't, I don't like have anything against it. But. I'm still pretty underwhelmed with the Seton Hall roster. Uh, I would probably prefer to just have Marcus Watson, but seemingly something went wrong there. Yeah, he he was always down to like a couple mid-major schools, and then like Towson was like the best of of the mid-majors. And Seton Hall came in late. He goes to Seton Hall. Now he's back going to Towson. Did Did you see that the commitment video he posted was? The exact same and just swapped out the last scene. Yeah. <laughs> Writing a whole new video. He, that was incredible. He, he doesn't have the uh, the video budget of, like, Hunter Dickinson. It's true. Yeah, Seton Hall has two spots right now. Which, uh, yeah, because in a, I think it was an Adam Zagoria article from, like, a couple weeks ago, Shaheen was quoted as saying he wants a big and a guard, and 
He only had one scholarship left. Now he's got two. You can get that. Yeah, no, Noah Farrakhan, then I guess whatever big is left on the board. You know who's sneaky on the board? Mac Etienne. It's true. He n- never even looked anywhere close to a top 50 recruit. Agreed. He looks really small out there, too, physically. Yes. Would you take him at a high major if you had a spot? If you have a spot, I, I mean, like, Seton Hall, I mean, why not, right? <laughs> Who cares? But um, I know he had the whole spitting spitting incident and everything, but Mick, Mick gave him minutes here and there. Yes. He was in the mix there. But. Um, you see Andre Curbelo got kicked off the Puerto Rican national team? That that was an all-timer, yeah. Guess he got into a fight with uh, the newest Brian Bulldog, uh, Rafael Pinzon, his former teammate at St. John's. That was unbelievable. Um, anything else popping along here in the commitment world? A few, like, late commits? Um... I don't even think like 2024. I don't have anything coming up. Nothing crazy. There was like, you know, there was a couple like here and there. Like UNLV took a kid. Um, Memphis is still waiting on Quinterly. Yes. Sounds like we're just waiting on an edit there. What's, what's Joe doing? There's like no action right now. I think more posted the edit, not. There's not even a lot of cut lists yet. That's more of an. Joey, Joey, Joey Tipton's out there grinding at the uh, the recruiting events. Love Joey is Tipton. He, is he pitching his services to like parents? Like, I, don't, I, I don't know. He just sits with the coaches like I do. Hmm. Cool. Pitching his services. Oh, was oh oh, and then we're waiting on Jose Perez to Michigan, which yes. is the landing spot. Better than Terrence Williams at the three, right? I mean, I I don't think Jose Perez is like all that close to being a high major player. To be clear. He certainly wasn't, what, three years ago when, when, when he was at Marquette. But he, he was also out of shape. And that was one where, like, they, they just gave everyone the free year. So he right, was he just that. Yeah. So, it was very make- funny. Jose Perez, Jose Perez is the most online college basketball player ever. So, like, I guess the Sleepers did a video where they said, like, Jose Perez – Probably only like an eight to nine point per game guy at Michigan, which quite frankly seems a bit aggressive. But I guess Jose, I I guess Daily Dose of Hoops tweeted like, oh, you know, like, you know, you're you're not being fair to Jose. He's so much better than that. You know, he's going to do. Going to do much better, you know, than that, much better than eight, eight to nine points a game. And I think Riley Davis of, of Heat Check replied, like, I don't, I don't know, like, at Marquette, he never scored more than eight points in a game. And 
Jose replied, like, you don't understand. Like, I'm so, you know, I'm so much better than that. And the coach got fired after the year for a reason. I was like, yeah, I'm I'm sure you, you not playing is the reason that Wojo got, got axed. Hey, we were on that from the, from the, from the Theo John, Jace Johnson jump. I think that was the same year, right? Mm, Maybe. Maybe that, maybe that was the year before. I think it was the year before. Theo John, Ed Morrow. I know that Jace Johnson was playing Summer League. I know. <laughs> Theo John was too, I guess. <laughs> Man, there's some names. I'm looking through these Marquette rosters. Marquette's always had super talented teams. But the team that had Jace Johnson was not the team that busted because they had Marcus Howard. Okay. Um, the next year was the weird disaster year where they had Carton, McEwen, Dawson Garcia, Justin Lewis, Jamal Kane, Theo John, and that team, and Greg Elliott. That team somehow went 13 and 14. Jamal Kane's like in the NBA, and he, well, could, he couldn't like hit a shot for Marquette. He is legitimately the best pro out of all of those guys so far. He would just, like, hang out in the corner for Marquette. Now he's in the NBA. Um, but, yeah, the year before Jose got there was the year that they had uh, Jace Johnson. Or, no, yeah. And then that year they had – oop, went too far. That year was Marcus Howard, Kobe McEwen, Greg Elliott, Sakar Annam, Brendan Bailey, and then they had Jace Johnson. Brendan Bailey and Jamal Cain split the four, and then they had Jace Johnson and Theo John up front. Good teams, a lot of good recruits, a lot of super talented guys. Where did Brendan Bailey go? He just he went pro. His dad was the GM of the Blazers or something uh, of, of the Jazz, sorry. He was some sort of executive with the Jazz. So he went to the Salt Lake City agility team. But yeah, that was like an abrupt pro move. That was that was pre pre nil. That was the type of player that that we were losing pre pre nil. Um, let's see. Let's see any other names for this Marquette team. How about how about the twenty eighteen Marquette team, whose backup point guard was none other than Joe Chartuni? I remember thinking he was going to be really good. He had zero points in, like, seven of his final 12 games. He was very out of place athletically and speed-wise. Yes, but he had a great year for him. Sakar so was good, though. Kobe McEwen. When uh, they had the Kobe McEwen-Marcus Howard backcourt, that was, like, automatic for the free throw line. And then the Housers left in, like, the middle of the, you know, just, like, up and left one day. Had some weird times there in Marquette, but, but they should be very good again this year. You would think. Any Anything else we need to get to on this pod? Wasn't there some uh, Louisville stuff people were talking about? If there was, I missed it. Like a Kenny Payne quote or something? I'm not sure. So. Um, I'm trying to think of 2024 commits. I can't think of any really big ones. Yeah. Um, like, uh, 
we're we're close to done. I mean, maybe we'll get a maybe we'll get a late portal or something. But oh well, the U nineteen team didn't even medal. That was terrible. I mean that that roster was super underwhelming from the jump. But also like you had to be born in two thousand four later, so a lot of the freshmen didn't even qualify to be in the pool. So I I don't even really know who wasn't who wasn't in the mix, but. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, the combination of 2023 sucking as a high school class, 2024 not being very good as a high school class, and 2022 being, you know, full being okay but full of guys who weren't eligible was just tricky. They should have just brought the U16 team with Cooper Flag and everybody. That's like basically what they did one year when they had, um, who was it? They just brought guys that were like two years younger. Maybe that was the uh, Jaleel Okafor, Justice Winslow year. I'm not 100% certain on that, but they definitely did that one year. Cooper, Cooper, DeBansa, and um, Boozer. Cameron Boozer would have been better than what they did. I mean, AJ is really freaking good. So we have nothing else basketball related. Oh, baby, what are we watching? On what TV? have you been watching on the old television? Honestly, I have watched so little television in the last two weeks. It's kind of concerning. You were at Peach Jam for what? Three days? Four days? Peach Jam for three days. I was I was out for the fourth for a few days. I was, like, out with my girlfriend for a few days. I was out, like, I met friends and, like, we went out one night. Like, it has literally, like, I've probably watched, like, five hours of TV in the last two weeks. With the exception of one rainy day when I watched, like, seven episodes of Parks and Rec. Is that, is that your first uh, viewing of Parks and Rec? Or no, I've really- watched it before. Great show. I watched it many years ago, but I remember not liking the last season. I yeah, it kind of fades at the end, but it's little, little too sentimental for me at the end. But it's a very good comedy. What have you been locked in on? I have one and a half episodes left of Halt and Catch Fire. So when we get off here, I will be finishing that up. That was a very good show. Um. And then Justified comes back next week. I don't know if you've watched Justified. I have the, not. The original run ended in like 20 years. Sequel uh, miniseries coming out next week on FX. Um, Claire Danes has a new show coming out this Thursday. Full Circle on HBO Max. So, a bunch of new stuff in the hopper. Did, it, did you watch a winning time? That, that, that comes back ne- next month. I did not. Maybe I'll give it a shot. Basketball-related. Prestige TV doesn't come around too often. Um, I went to the movies. Saw the... Uh, I don't know if you're a movie theater guy, Brad. I am... I mean, I, I greatly prefer TV to movies, so I don't yeah. watch movies that often. But I, I, I do re- really want to watch Oppenheimer next week. But I've heard, I've heard good things about Oppenheimer. 
Where'd you go see? I'm more excited. I went to see the uh, the Jennifer Lawrence comedy. It's great. It's like No Hard Feelings or whatever it's called. It's really funny. Yeah, people are saying that's 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 gonna save the adult comedy in uh, theaters. It was like, it was very good movie. It was a very good movie. It was one of those where I went and expecting it to be a bad movie that I would laugh at, and it turned out to be a good movie that I laughed at. Jennifer Lawrence saving adult comedies. There you go. Well, hopefully folks uh, get a chance to enjoy some summertime, enjoy some away time from basketball. I'm off to Vegas for summer league and for a little more recruiting. Uh, and then once we get back, mid-July already. It's like a month from kids getting to campus for fall, a month and a half from college football, month and uh, you know, two months from start of practice. And three and a half months until games. It's going to be exciting stuff, folks. See you all then.